In a new age world filled with delusions and wish fulfillment by morons in need of attention, renowned experiencers of high strangeness and podcasters Jeffrey Ritzman and Jeremy Vaney received invitations to a tropical paradise getaway called Paratopia. Little did they know, it was the same type of new age spiritual retreat they've been avoiding all their lives. Don't be shy. Rationality will be the death of us. Thank heavens for the afterlife. Come on, you can shake it. Yeah. Success is a simple formula. Whatever you dream times money equals creating your own reality. Anything goes with Paratopia. <laughs> and welcome. Hi-ho, Kermit the Frog here. You know, supposedly, Paratopia's on UPRN 105.3 New Orleans. But that's about as real as I am. Ah, Kermit, Kermit. We're needed on stage. Thank you, Fuzzy. Paratopia. Oh, it is my pleasure. It is my honor to introduce, um, actually, the last person I interviewed um, for the Culture of Contact show. Someone you may recognize from his own work, or you may recognize from the Culture of Contact. He is Teokasen Ghost Horse, and and actually, Teokasen, well, first of all, thank you for coming on the show, but I'm going to ask you to do your own introduction, since we have no agenda tonight. uh, I'm not at all certain what you want people uh, to know about you. (laughs) Well, sure. I, I do a radio program. I'm a host of a radio program called First Voices Indigenous Radio and have done somewhat a format of that uh, for the last 18 years um, in Seattle and now in New York. And I'm heard on several other radio stations at various times of the week also and Internet uh, throughout the world. And I'm a lecturer um, on Native American studies and Native history and creation myth and um, anything else you can have to deal with the Lakota culture, which I come from. And, uh, you know, just to try to be a human being to everybody. That's about it. Well, it's interesting. I was just re-listening to our Culture of Contact interview, and I was reading the comments afterwards. And, you know, a lot of people wrote to me personally and said um, they cry when they listen to you speak, and oh. uh, you really move them, you really touch them. And then a few people, of course, are like, I don't get it, I don't understand. It sounds like he's talking around certain issues. So... When I re-listened to the Culture Contact episode, I realized that actually what's going on is you are trying to convey to a rational or rationalizing mind using its language the Lakota perspective, which is, I would say, broader, deeper, and of oneness or closer to oneness, closer to timelessness than we actually experience we talk about it right in certain new age circles build up belief systems around it but nobody uh, in those circles actually function from that point of view and i think when you hear someone talk from that point of view it's disconcerting um so i'm hoping that maybe tonight we can sort of try to figure all this consciousness stuff out i mean what what would it take to actually speak to the rational mind to get it to, to understand where you're coming from 
Well, geez, where shall I start from? I, I think I think no small that, task. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, uh, it's something. You know, there there is two distinct ways of, of speaking that I that I go experience here. Um, one is because uh, one is a rational language of English, and um, it seems to want explanation for everything, answers, quick answers for everything. And I am also thinking, feeling, and being. Lakota in my mind and my heart and my being, and we think in a, in a different way, more metaphorical and more of an inclusive uh, way that no, there is no wrong answers and there are no right answers, that it all is inclusive. And I know that is very tempting um, for me to just give up because it's hard to explain in this, this, this language. And so often I, I give in to, well, I have to argue in the rational style of, of people who have the arguing style uh, one-upmanship. I have more information than you do. I, you know, I, I have more. And, and it's always about this, uh, this domination philosophy that we are better and we are the only way to think in, in the world. And uh, I know coming from the Lakota culture that it is not the only way in the world uh, to think rationally. But there are other cultures, other, other, other ways of thinking and being. And now that's coming to the forefront. But I think we're so isolated in our rationality in this society. And uh, any, any culture or society that kowtows to the westernized uh, conceptual mode of intellectualism that I call it, and uh, we want to believe that we can transcend anything that is supposedly primitive, like uh, Native people's uh, uh, history, past, or anything, and make up our own, and, and everything is new constantly. So it gives us the, the, um, the idea that you know things are changing, and therefore we're evolving, therefore we as Americans see we know what we're doing. And when we, we stand back and have always been looking on the outside at a society that tends to really really um, you know defecate on its own source of life called mother then then we then we, we know that there is a different way of thinking and being so um, and and I do know because I'm speaking in English that my rational mind will think well he's he's speaking of an idea ideology that seems to be better. And uh, that it's not all hunky dory, and it's always, you know, opening up to it, looking for judgments of other peoples who really do think live differently and live differently, and that's proven now, even by its own science of rationalization. Well, I think one of the things that you uh, got to in our previous interview um, that I think was hard for people to to get, and I think they just sort of washed over it a lot of times. Um, but you came back to it over and over again, which is that um, even in terms of the invaders versus the so-called Indian, um, that that was all – that in in the sort of now moment, in truth, that's just what is. So there is no anybody wins. There was no war that the Indians lost and the white guys won or, or any of that sort of thing, that that whole mindset of like winning and losing is just – it's wrong. It's like it's just – it all just is. It's sort of this isness thing that, that we sort of approach as a philosophy, but it seems that you guys live. So how do we get to that? Is, is there a way to break through the rational boundaries, or do you even think that what I just said is true? Well, I, I can agree about half of that, Jeremy, and I think that um, a society that has an attitude of win-win at all costs, um, regardless of who gets hurt or collateral damage, at, at, as it's now called, um, um, these people, you know, they're, they're not serving uh, humanity or beings in, in the whole as they say they are. 
So in, in other words, their purpose is to ensure only their survival and continuance, and and anybody else, you just can, um, you know, I said before, defecate on. So um, the way we're thinking about about these other other peoples um, is, is always searching their truth um, and not and not remembering our lives that we've made about them and always justifying our rationalizations about everybody else. So in my own words, you know, we have to break down that, that historical stereotype and begin to form that real relationship with uh, indigenous communities and peoples. And, um, and that's usually just based on two things, respect and, and real understanding of each other. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about um, isness or nowness or truth, you also do talk about sort of conscious evolution. How are they both happening? Um, let me see how I can do this. Um, um, in the Lakota language and thought process, we have no word for believe or belief. Um, there is only you know or you don't. Um, it, and it's not as black and white as the words say they are. Um, but in, 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 in English... You believe or you believe in something, and that's easy. That's spiritual laziness. You, you're, you're, you don't need to think anymore. You just look at a book or you look at TV or you look at the answer that's provided on the news or you look at a great novel, and you think that that is all you have to do is believe in what they say. And it doesn't allow you to think, oh, you kind of ponder about it a bit, but you really don't create from your own tree root, so to speak. And that is a belief system believing in democracy, a believing in religion, a believing. So it's all this, this make-believe thing, this, this imaginary illusion, this illusion. And, and we are given the words to say that that's the reality of it. Where in the other, other world where we know there's not a word for belief or believing, that you do know because it is physical and it's spiritual. And, and when you do know something, you tend not to stray from it and make an apple and orange down the way. Mm-hmm. Do you talk less in Lakota? Do Lakota speak less to each other? I Yes, we do speak less because we we have the uh, intuitive value of, of being able to, to almost experience each other's uh, molecular structure, if I could say. See, this is where English kind of interferes with with uh, what their true meaning is. Uh, we call it uh, uh, Mahashani, which means um, becoming one another's skin, mm-hmm. in, in a sense, uh, in a physical th- sense, um, because we are sharing not only just the, the words and the sounds of each other's brains and, and mouths, and uh, we are also feeling the words. We know the words have to do with relationship to whatever we're talking about. So the relationship is not including, um, how do you say it? Um, we, we, we just, we, it's, it's hard to speak in a third person. In other words, we have to be present. If we are going to talk about somebody else, that's something that we really can't do because that's being dishonest. Mm-hmm. And we can only be in the presence of someone in order to speak with someone. But in, in the society that, you know, kind of like divides everybody up into, different personalities and stuff we, we talk to a third person all the time and it makes it easier to make up rather than going right to the source the horse's mouth so to speak so um, um i hope i'm answering your question i kind of go, go off a little bit in other tangents yeah well that's pretty interesting that you put it that way because i just on our message board had been talking about sort of the difference between 
you know, the Western mind sort of, you know, just as you said, sees things in third person, um, and that's not the same as experiencing. And when it comes to, you know, for instance, I'm reading these books on uh, DMT research where, you know, Western science um, goes to tribal South America and um, takes ayahuasca or, or mushrooms and... Um, it seems like they're they're sort of getting that that the actual experience of doing it and being that and being that point of view is what's important, not describing what's happening, you know, and trying to reduce it to just sort of chemical stimuli in the brain and that sort of thing. So I feel like there is a movement to sort of get to that place, but we're still not completely there. And I'm just, you know, we're still trying to connect all of this stuff with whatever these other beings are that we call aliens, um, which I don't think are aliens, but, uh, but we call them that. And, um, and I'm always, um, struck by your statement that Lakota are not abducted by them. And I just wonder if that's not because you have a completely other point of view, uh, by which you see life and that point of view is all inclusive. And so therefore there's no reason to be afraid. Um, I mean, why would someone be afraid of something that's so familiar? If you, if if you go into to the ceremonies, if you are talking about them, if they're in your songs, they're in your everyday speech about your creation story, your origin story, and uh, even some of the language that we speak, we say comes from them, the Star Nations. And uh, that they do are are here, and they appear to us. Um, there are different forms of energy, and uh, I just I still don't get why people feel like they're being abducted. Is there something like terribly missing that they have to be taken away, like some kind of freak, and then probed and poked, and you know, and and like t- being tested upon? I don't get it. But when it comes to native people, I, you know, like I've said before, I haven't heard of one, and I talk to the elders back home, and you know, through my years, and it's like we don't get abducted. In fact, we just, you know, my brother saw um, broad daylight in a group of my family out having a picnic. They they saw this thing in broad daylight, and you know, they watch it for a good ten minutes, and and. Um, you know, they were talking, of course, the young ones were asking sensationalist questions because they're growing up in now a culture that's filled with TV and, you know, um, and those illusions is that they, they can't accept these things that are real. So if, if a culture or society is saying that they're being abducted, doesn't it seem like, the, to me, it's, it's I, I don't get it. It just doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. Um, my logic or our logic as Lakota because they're here with us every day. Uh, could could there be something going on that, that we um, perceive as an attack that isn't an attack? Is there anything in Lakota that would even, for instance, use uh, fear tactics um, as means of initiation or as means of taking people out of their ordinary sense of self for a greater good purpose? Uh, Jeremy, the only fear tactics that we've experienced uh, from aliens are the people who came over on the boats, really. <laughs> and uh, when it when it comes to fear tactics, why would an intelligent life source or beings use fear tactics when they're supposedly evolved? And what we we we, we would say spiritually evolved into a being that doesn't have to use fear and worry or want or any of those imaginary emotions that people make up to control other people for lack of 
Mm-hmm. And uh, so for me, this is this this still doesn't fit. Why why would we make aliens, quote unquote, into something that's going to come and bomb us and steal us and take us away and boogeyman us out of existence? Well, is it possible that there's something in the way that we we perceive them that's sort of what we you know, and this is something that Jeff really talks about a lot on the show. Uh, the more you give, the more you get, and and along with that, the way you perceive them gets mirrored back at you in some way. Do you think that's possible? So that if we have fear and if we are fearful, um, it gets mirrored back at us as you know something to be fearful of. Well, th- there you have the the um, the I think uh, it belongs to all of us as human in our in our deep human consciousness and our spiritual beings that um, what is above is below. That's the mirror, and uh, if we are living in a fear-based society and culture, and our language is is, is mostly of fear, then of course we're going to explain things in, in fear, and um, um, just for. Reality's sake is when I speak in front of people and I'm in my traditional um, uh, regalia, I have a mirror that I wear. And I often explain to people that that mirror is going to reflect what you send to me. If you think I'm some, you know, Indian that's antiquated and shouldn't be around anymore, or that I'm too stupid, or that, you know, that I'm a drunk, or anything, anything negative is going to be shot back at you. And it's on the other, on the other hand, too, if, if you're sending you know, pleasant thoughts. I mean, that's proven science, really. And and, and that's just it's so simple that I don't know why people go to, you know, thinking that oh, we're afraid of them. It's like almost that like they, they, they're hiding something inside that they don't want to expose because the aliens are actually being able to look through you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and also one thing you talked about is mystery, that there must be mystery. Um and I think perhaps uh, some of us don't embrace mystery. You know, we're we're a society that that demands answers, and not only demands answers, but believes that we're entitled to them. Uh, yeah, you know, mystery is the key to life, and I, I know that mystery is is uh, often held in a, in a place of, of unknownness. So it's based in fear. Those mysterious uh, dark people, those mysterious aliens, those mysterious, and it, it, it's because we we are fearing them that we don't get to know them, and we we are afraid to take the risk beyond our own fears and, and implications of, you know, there are other worlds that are coming, taking over what, what is ours. And yes, it's a sense of entitlement that anything's going to be taken, our minds, our, our souls are going to be taken away by the devil type of thing. So we make up these things and it's all an imaginary. And I, I often wonder, Jeremy, how, why is a society going on through life believing these, in these illusions and these, these lies, really? And what kind of world is are they creating with all these illusions of lies? And so when it comes to fearing, fearing the, uh, the, uh, the images, uh, what is above is below, you know, and below is above. I mean, how beautiful is that? That we can actually know that there are beings that are exactly like who we are. Any place, at any given time, if there was such a thing, in any dimension, at any given time. And I think that just, you know, gets rid of the ideas of, of loneliness, and and, uh, and you just feel warm. You feel warm, really, when you, we are talking to these um, these beings of light, these beings of richasha, uh, uh, you know, richashaska. These these beings that are that are of light. So you know, for us, it's it's just something that I, I hope that someday with that we can truly explain it in in English. 
I, I'm sure that the, that there is a Lakota out there that will be able to do that one of these years or one of these days and be able to explain it so it doesn't have to be misconstrued and, and taken someplace else. And Because um, all I can do is offer something that has many Achilles heels to it, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and because um, I'm trying to explain it in a rational fashion and, and, and uh, quite frankly, I'm, I don't think I'm that... I'm not that articulate as I want to be yet. Uh, well, let me ask you this. There are places, for instance, Hudson Valley, New York, that are famously paranormal, that they they just have all sorts of activity happening around them, and some of it does seem to be negative or provoke fear in people. Are there no places where the Lakota wouldn't go? I mean, you, you must know what I'm talking about, those types of places that are... Oh. Oh yeah, there there is there is places that I think this society would see as as taboo. That oh those Lakota, those Indians, they don't go up there because they're superstitious. What it is a great respect for a place of energy, a place that's been older than many of the places that um, that human contact has been. Um, but we also know that these places up and down Hudson Valley, these stone houses, these mounds, these places of energy that we've known, they've known them. And and maybe this is another reason why they had to get rid of those native people, because they know that. But these are the places where, um, how do you say it without getting so new agey, these portals, you know, uh, these places where the energy can be used and and harnessed and, and be put in a good positive effect and make things grow and heal and and, and those places. And, and it's interesting too, Jeremy, that those places all have a different sound. Now, people may not know this, but those places all have different sounds. So a lot of the native peoples all over the, the United States have local songs that they incorporate within the sounds of the songs that they sing, their tones, the intonations that they sing. All of that is sacred language, and sacred language to us is only the songs of the sounds and tones of particular places. In other words, if we were in Hopi land and I was singing to a corn, that corn will not understand as clearly as it would understand a Hopi man singing a, a corn song because of that land and that type of energy in that part of a, this country. Whereas in South Dakota, I could sing to a cottonwood tree, and more so because that cottonwood tree, because we use it in our Sundance ceremonies, would understand so much more. And as beings, those beings do understand our sound sounds in the songs, and um, the sound is the part is the healing. And so when we talk about energy of places up and down Hudson, it's the same all over the United States. So it's not a place that we are going to be afraid of, that, but that we hold in respect. Being afraid of something and respecting something is totally the different things, the differences in, in the way we think about life here on this planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the other things that you mentioned on that last show was that we uh, don't just think with our brains, that our whole bodies think. Um, and... You would give the example of of the sun that we we take in knowledge or information from the sun with our bodies. Is that something that you can expand on? Yeah, um, we don't have a word in Lakota for um, brain as an object, brain as a being, a point of only the only intelligence that we have. Um, uh, we have what we call a nasu, and if you could be able to take, I don't know if you see me. But you have your your hands in this this from 
from the top of your head to the, the heart area. And it's this whole area that we call, um, how would I say this? The head is merely a seed of the heart. Mm-hmm. The, it's only a seed of the heart. In other words, our thoughts, our energy, our feelings, our spirituality, our beingness comes exclusively and, and originates from the heart. And our brains are able to di- use it in, in the five senses that we are, are contained in. And, and that's really about it. But the involvement really is about the heart and how spiritually evolved you are rather than thought processes that are only coming from the brain because those can be changed, manipulated, and, you know, you find out something's wrong 20 years later. Um, so it's, it's really um, the brain by itself is a liar. The heart included with the brain, it, it knows the difference between wrong and right and 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 you can really really conceive or or create thought in both balance of dark and light from both the brain and the heart and if uh humanity as a whole woke up to this um would that change the nature of the relationship with these beings i think it's it's already changing jeremy i think um um the being itself um that we live on earth is uh, wanting us to change, uh, not only wanting us, but being able to physically change our DNA in order that we can be- become bigger antennas, so to speak, and receive more than we we we're not getting right now. And uh, the only thing that is that we are stopping is by continually believing in our own godliness. And continue believing that only humans have answers, and within that there is an elite faction of whoever thinks that rational thinking and the Western mentality is the only way to think, and that is the biggest problem. It's like I'm a political activist, and the biggest obstacle that I have is not the right-wing thinkers, it's the left it's a neoliberal left it's a, it's the left people who say things like "My peace is better than your peace p e a c e and yet they're still lit. they're coming from within the same system and they're still killing earth only in a in a prettier way. Hmm. Jeff, would you like to jump in? Uh yeah. Well, this is the part of the interview where we realize that Jeremy asks the really deep insightful questions and I ask ones that are less so. Uh, <laughs> because 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 Tiokas and I got to say that 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 Jeremy is uh as, as probably well, he's been to hear you speak a couple of times, and he had you at his conference and all that. And I, this is my first meeting with you, so um, I, I'm curious. In, in a couple of things you say uh, earlier on, kind of remind me of some of the things that I hear Terrence McKenna talk about the Amazonian tribesmen in South America and the way that they look at these beings uh, that you know us white guys are so fearful of all the time. And uh, uh, I'm curious, just in that notion of thought, do the Lakota have a medicine man or a shaman that enters some altered state of consciousness that receives visions of sorts? Or is it a different methodology for the Lakota as opposed to the Sioux or so on and so forth, or even the tribesmen of, of the Amazon for that matter, do they still 
work it that way, or is it done some other way? Well, the, the easy the, the easy answer is not there, um, Jeff. And um, for me to say that it, it it's only exclusively um, you're in connection only because you're a medicine man or or a spiritual leader is is, is leaving the rest of, of the people out. Mm-hmm. And uh, what we say that all of us can tap into this is if that we uh, um, there's there's certain protocol um, that we we have and. Um, I think it, it's a way that the, you're taught a philosophy because you can have native people um, growing up in a city and they will probably never ever be able to tap into that because of the way they were conditioned to think. And so, you know, and, 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 and I say that this, the uh, answer is in this, in this case is in within us all because somewhere in, in back in our history as DNA people, um, we were able to live with earth which is the, the primary connection. Now, if you think of Earth, Mother Earth, as this giant satellite dish and able to pick up all these messages, all from other beings, other planets, and those little beings on those planets, wouldn't we really think about Earth as being our connection, our telephone to other places? Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm also... And in I'm the also, same, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, please. Now, and in the same instance, you know, we're kind of wrecking our our satellite. We're kind of our satellite dish. We're kind of our radar. We're kind of messing up our phone connection because of what, how we're treating Earth. And it's very simple. You know, we have to learn how to live with Earth. And at one time in all of our histories, our people's histories, we were able to do that. And so what we're doing now is messing it up and, and not even seeing where we're standing. We're looking out to other planets and trying to figure out how in the hell we can connect these. And these other aliens, so-called aliens, are coming down wherever they are and telling us that, hey, you're messing up here, but you're not really getting the picture. Mm. Were the connections that you all have with these beings, were they always part of your culture or is there a Genesis starting point to that? They're, they, um, it, it's almost like you can, you cannot exclude yourself from being part of who they are because our creation stories, uh, regardless of the ones that are being put into, you know, ethnographic, uh, you know, encyclopedias or whatever about native people, especially the Lakota, the the patriarchy that is involved in defining who we are as Lakota now has often come to a Christian uh, theory, really. And now it's, uh, you know, down to where we are talking about um, while they came from Bering Strait in Mongolia. But when it comes to the creation thought process of who we are, and you sit there and you you listen to the people who were born in the 1800s, my grandfathers and their his grandfather and his his friends who were in their eighties and seventies. We're talking the nineteen sixties. You know, they were they were they were twenty thirty years old before the turn of nineteen hundred, and they were talking about the 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 stars. They're talking about the relationship of coming from the eight pointed star, which is Pleiades, and how mm. we we were able to come here and the actual route we took. And how we still see and we know that we are also given the instructions of how to return once we are done in this life form of this body that we will always know that because we look at our instructions every day, by the way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, it's so simple. I mean, it, the, the more that I hear, the more it seems like, I don't know, if I mean, I'm certainly not going to be able to define it in, in a single sentence, but it sounds to me like 
being raised all your life and your entire culture being very familiar with these peoples uh, from other places, other, uh, you know, the stuff that may be walking between Adams right now between and you and me, uh, that just being raised around that is, is largely part of how it's been acclimated into your culture versus, you know, me as a, a, a Caucasian suburbanite, uh, it's it's certainly not been put into that uh, put into that framework for me all of my life. It's always been, uh, I mean, you, even I know for a fact that uh, the American Indian looks at something like a ghost or spirits as uh, something not to be afraid of, um, and, and I'm still kind of confounded as to why a lot of us Caucasian Americans find that fearful. You know, because if we're talking to our dead grandfather, we certainly didn't fear him when he was alive. Why should we fear him now? Exactly. Um, so you know, it, it sounds like that's – I mean, am I right in that, that it's really a, a cultural conditioning type of thing? I, I would think that. I would not exclude the, the Caucasian from what I'm about to say, um, that I include the Caucasian because it's there and it's in the DNA. And I think um, we are in that age and, and period of um, at least the Caucasian spiritual development where things have opened up now to understand it. And the language, as you see, will start changing as it has, as you know and Jeremy knows that. And I know that since we were small, there has been a totally new type of language and the usage coming along and that's the secret that's the part that we we are learning to to uh, cooperate to to be with and i say that in capital letters because that's the secret with not on or against or for anything just with each other and you, you think about all the languages in the world are about seven thousand languages and and in our lifetimes half of those will disappear I mean, there's a language that goes extinct every 14 days in the Western Hemisphere, and um, these have these have uh, a wealth of knowledge about our history, our culture, or the, the environment, the nature that we live with, and our human brain experience, our human heart experience. And um, if those languages go, you know, we definitely, in order to survive with each other and with the Earth, we have to devise a new language in order to understand the great satellite or the radar dish that we are living on called Mother Earth in order to contact and keep in contact with, even though we think that those stars and that sun and that moon that we don't see on the other side of Jupiter have nothing to do with us here. They, in fact, do. Every bit of dust, every little atom we don't see billions of light years away has every effect on us as our little finger going into a piece of or dropping a stone in, in some water. So yes, that is conditioning, Jeff. Um, I think that you know we can untrain ourselves by not accepting what we were taught and forced and given grades by and rationalized into that it's the only way to think about life because that language really doesn't include in, in life it does not include life yeah well I, I think a lot of people are figuring that out now we're as you know as as a native american us caucasian people are rather late bloomers when it comes to this kind of stuff um <laughs> <laughs> or many of us are. Um, and, and going back to what you were saying about how the planet is so disrespected uh, by man these days. And, and, you know, I could add to that I would say in the past three or four days, if not a week, that something that's really 
hit me kind of hard has been not only the disrespect that we show to this planet, but the disrespect that we show to other human beings. Um, and the notion that uh, I, I mean, I'm curious as to your perspective on how do you look at a world that uh, that that by and large is not populated by Native American peoples? Uh, how do you look at a world that see it's, it's okay to pay a professional ball player six point eight million dollars while we have children who can't eat because there's no money? Because there's no food or what have you. How do you – I guess what I'm asking is from the, the Native American perspective, where did this all go so wrong? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, um, I think it's gone wrong in every culture sometime or the other because we have stories about how it did go wrong in ours in our uh, fourth world, so to speak. And I know about a year or so ago, um, the elders in Hopi, the elders in Lakota, the elders down in South America have said that uh, – um, that it is we are now in our fifth world and things are starting to come into balance and if you're uh, if you're sitting in a place of balance with any culture with anybody and you see you see um, someone a yankee earning 13 million dollars a year and next you know and you're watching that to a store window and you're watching a homeless person um, outside of that store window there's (laughs) There is an illogic thing happening. There, there's something that does just not quite right. But it's it's in the denial of seeing both sides of that story. It's in the denial that the language that we have accepted and forced upon others to say, well, you know, this is the the haves and have-nots, and uh, you know, that's just the way it is. That's not reality. Reality is is how you pick up that person, you know, individually. I mean, I I, I can't say that I am able to do that. Really, because there's there's so many, then so so much so much illogical things happening here in the city that a person could go crazy, and and oh. they, they, either they do that they become numb to it. But I think if a person is learning how to appreciate a place that's showing these far different out of balance perspectives, I think an individual can appreciate that he or she has a responsibility to do something about that at least and, and somehow maintain a, a, a spiritual saneness rather than running to the drugs or whatever you need to do to, to think that you are going to be in balance. In fact, that's, that's the least that thing I would recommend is running out there to change, alter your mood, alter your body or whatever in order to, you know, to, to deny yourself. You know the feeling that you're getting, yet you put it in an emotional, um, um, secular fashion of the emotions, where it can be controlled by what you see on TV, and you forget about the homeless. And if you throw a tax dollar or two at that way, they'll take care of the problem for you. And that's the same thing as believing, because they surely don't have the answers, because that system, that the very same system, has dropped bombs, atom bombs on other peoples, and we're still explaining it like we are the best. Yeah, yeah, it's absurd when you think about it. And I mean, the the I I have to wonder, and I would only assume this by what you said tonight, that the Lakota people probably in their own community, in their own, uh, you know, within the the the, the tribal bounds, I would probably assume that you know what I mean when I say people don't necessarily wear masks. 
like like I have to in this world or like Jeremy has to or you know there's a mask that we wear when we're around family and then there's another one we put on when we go to work and another one when you put on to go out with your friends and and that kind of thing it seems like uh, for us there's always got to be some kind of a front put on uh, to deal with the world and yeah. and and to you know you can't go into work and and wish your coworker a happy birthday and give him a hug because immediately you get sent to HR for <laughs> you know bad right. conduct and, and 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 I gotta wonder that you know being raised uh, as an, in a Native American culture I I would assume that you're kind of raised up in the sense of to be the, an open person. I mean, you speak this way. You speak very open with your heart. You speak very open about how you feel um, uh, chips fall where they may. And, and you have to wonder if a culture like that uh, comes up, if that doesn't open these other areas of perceiving things as not fearful, not harmful, not scary or terrifying, but rather that this is just another part of honest expression by reality itself uh um, you know it, it, if that plays into it at all if i'm even close to the mark you you are and i, I think that uh, what what i what i i see you in my my pictures in my mind is that growing up in a in a in a world where you're removed from technology you're removed from the inadequacy of, of um, appreciation um and that you know that that uh, plant growing in the ground is going to be shared by the person that you're looking at the same plant with. If you know that that does not belong to either that person or you, then that it is shared. And what sharing does, in a sense, in that way that we, if we're connecting with Earth all the time, we know essentially who our mother is. And that, that may be too much right now, but uh, we essentially know that everything is related to that one plant in the ground that we are all going to share. Whether, you know, it, it's going to be a deer coming along and eating that plant, or a bug, or, you know, it's something that's going to come along and be able to share that. You realize that that animal who's eating that same plant, well, geez, you know, that that's what I eat too. So that deer must be part of me. But when you're removed from the, the relationship and you're only going about in a concrete jungle seeing um, the domination of animals called pets, dogs and cats and birds and whatever, fish, whatever. And uh, now we are talking about human humans not being, but just humans. And we only think um, grandiose things about our, our, our race as humans. And that's all we see. So that's all that matters to us. Everything else can be crapped on because we are the elite of all life and we are at the top of this uh, totem pole so to speak and um, I think it has to do with uh, in some aspects that, that we have educated that wisdom out of ourselves and the western compulsory education really has taken its toll and in some aspects uh, you know the forefront of rationale, rationale that I'm trying to explain here is uh, related to the land like I was talking about and pretends to have conquered it and so we're living in this illusion that we have conquered everything without even looking at ourselves as individuals and our responsibilities. We, we claim right to everything, and we're entitled to everything because we are the elite of life, because we're the only ones can make music. We're the only ones that can fire a rocket off. We're the only ones that can create an at atomic bomb that can destroy life on Earth. We're the only ones. And so we, we, we become isolated as a, a species, 
and we're removing ourselves from the very essence of our mother. And as an indigenous person growing up, I see that happening to my people now too, because they, they are taking off their land. They are told that they are free. They are told that they have to vote. They are told that money matters most. They are told these other things because they're living in fear now. And, and that, those cultures, just like the one in the Amazons now, are, are being affected, and we're all sick. And this is the time that you know people have to start speaking out for a responsibility that is inherent in all of us rather than the right the right to, to, you know, claim knowledge, the right to claim land, the right to claim, claim, claim. And mm-hmm. yet it all, it all belongs to the one who created, and, and the creator is the only one who has the right to anything. So, so all of that said, I would assume that in your culture there's also a huge sense of consequence of actions. Oh, yes, that's... That, that's a, a generational thing. You you know, mm-hmm. it, it's seven generations ahead. You think about, you know, what your actions are going to do, consequential. We don't think about consequences when we, we just go out because we feel that it belongs to us and we, right. we, we whatever everybody else is thinking, we don't care because we don't, we're isolated. We, we have put our souls within our body. In the Lakota way, the body is in the soul that all of whatever is here. The, the, I'm sitting in an apartment, there is a fan, there is a, a bed, there is a chair, there is a floor, the ceiling, there's a light. There are things here, a table, that are here caring for me. And if you can really reach that, these things are, were created to care for me. Even though they were made by other men or, or women, That the Creator put them here to care for me. My job, my responsibility is to be able to look at these things and appreciate them. And I don't do that very well because of the things that I have to try to explain because I'm gotten, I've gotten away from growing up and looking at that single plant that all of us can eat. And uh, I've gotten away from that. And, and I'm, I'm really glad for these types of interviews because it keeps me sane somewhat and I can see that. And I want to thank both of you for having me on and being able to talk about this because if we, if we see that all things were created to care, then we see that everything must be alive if they have the ability to care. Wow. I, I mean, I'd say it in the reverse. I think, um, and I've, I've long thought that the Native American people, and I've said this for years, that you know, you get these questions if you talk about ufology at, a, at some conference. You know, and Inevitably, um, I would bring up that I thought the Native American peoples knew so much more about what this was all about. Uh, and interacted with it in a completely different way uh, than we do, uh, and, and I think it all boils down to the the consequence, the honesty, the the the, the drop of the mask uh, around uh, y- your fellow man, that type of thing. Um, that all just kind of leads. I mean, I don't think a lot of people realize just how different that the mindset of Native American peoples are. I mean, it, it really is completely, I'd say it's, it's it, to, 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 to the average person out there, I'd say it is completely alien in their way of thinking. Uh, you know, I mean, it really is, because these are things, I mean, we're talking about, right now, a very selfish world, a very me, me, me world, and, and a no thought to consequence whatsoever. I mean, if that's not evident from the news the past couple of days. <laughs> I mean, um, 
you know, it's it's blatant, and uh, and the idea of us thinking center seven generations ahead is absurd. Uh, we're worried about next week. Uh, so, I mean, uh, I have to thank you for coming on and and um, and giving this perspective, and you know, and 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 doing that because I think that it's really important to see where everybody came from with this stuff because uh, it's a hell of a lot deeper than just uh, little green men in flying saucers. Well, we we run our, around our lives trying to, you know, we plan happiness and we holidays, and this is when you're supposed to really think about focus things, and then we. We kind of make things into science fiction on a consistent basis like they're not real. And so, you know, we're trying to explain things in unreal terms about something that's real. And we're never going to get it because it's it's always going to miss the mark. And it's simple. It's a simple term. Um, uh, Wichasha Akantu. Akantu. Uh, Wichasha Akantu means in the Lakota language um, human beings. And if I could explain that, the language is, is first and foremost, uh, it operates in feel and without the need for um, conscious reasoning, mm-hmm. um, um, not in such as descriptive objects and events or emotions, but um, it, which is an experience that integrates the, the, the human, the being of the human. Um, and, and that's a natural act when you integrate and you're um, in the presence of another being's right or legitimacy, legitimacy to, to exist, and you coexist with that person. And once mm-hmm. you become that human being, you see that you are related. And, you know, why would you want to kill another human being? Yeah. And, and, and you become wise, the wise, a wise one, knowing that that human being once was an ancestor and once is a, and will be a descendant simultaneously. Mm-hmm. At the same time, and and when you're being quiet and peaceful and still and listening, and that experience opens up in the Lakota language. And this Jeff mentioned the, you know, that we don't have to say so many words because it's a different paradigm, the Lakota paradigm, and listening and observing is a way of being present in the in the imagination of living, mm-hmm. and the feeling generated. Feelings that we generate are, are the creation experience that we have, and um, so when your body is in connection to that breath and it's silence, you're comfortable with wichasha akantu. So akantu is not just an isolated self, or transcended to a higher self, individualism, or any mental definition, but it's an experience of humankind, and uh, that's the, the oneness um, with everything, the relationship and the balance and. And I would say that the free uh, um, energy, that is waka, in other words, we have a thing called makasitomini, which means surrounds the universe. And that's that's how our heart is and how we think. Mm. Well, it comes down to, you know, the same old thing, which, you know, I guess I guess mankind is finally starting to get the gist of, which is that, you know, hurting other people, hurting the planet only hurts everybody. <laughs> um you know, which is what it boils down to. Jeremy, yeah, back to uh, you. you. You were saying, though, that, that you see that this is changing now. Uh, is there a reason why it's changing now? What is changing? Um, that we are sort of being able to um, see things this way, in this sort of more enlightened way. 
Well, this is one. This this radio program is one. Um, and and I, I am not originating this. I got it from somebody else who was older than me. Um, and I am only able to explain it in the words I, I've been given, the reasoning that I, the spiritual logic that I've been given as a human being. But the, it's interesting that we have to watch our rational language that denies that spiritual logic. And that's how... I'm saying that it, it's changing, mm-hmm. and and um and we have to be careful of our inability to be self-sufficient or autonomous, and uh, if that makes any sense, away from the the, the I emphasis, mm-hmm. um, and, and me emphasis, in order to open up that that energy that that's always there, that's free. It's it's more more than electricity. It's more than the, the wind. It's 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 all there. I mean. If you, can, if you can hang with me, that that's what I'm trying to get to it. Yeah, well, I, th- I think all of this is talking about, um, you know, what I've been trying to get at now for the last few weeks, probably poorly, uh, which is that when you talk about um, sort of all things being one thing, it's, it's a, all is embedded in, is manifested within um, consciousness. One of those all, <laughs> one of one of those things is the human brain, which also has the ability to manifest its own sense of self-consciousness. And so it's the brain-based uh, sense of self that sort of has to disappear um, to be able to have this greater awareness um, come to the fore. I think that's sort of what we're, we're getting at now. So how how do we do that? You know, I'm asking that question. Uh, do, well, I don't do think do I think the problem is that, that there is no there is no how. I think it's I think the mistake that we've been making for thousands of years is in trying to tell people through, for instance, meditation or or you know things like that, um, or religion even um, how to do it, how, how how you can achieve it, and it's actually not you that can achieve it. It's that the brain has to get that it isn't going to get it. It cannot know the unknowable by definition. And so stop sending out your little detective, which is you. I think like once the brain gets that, once it sees that that projecting you as the seeker to figure this stuff out isn't going to work, then it's bang. It's instantaneously the epiphany, the, the big experience. Yeah, I, and I, I do think um, that's the right, on a right um I guess, path in the sense that, and I mentioned earlier that things have changed already. I think that we have not become aware of it as yet. And and to be more of a, of a how do I say it? I don't want to say it, but I'm going to say it is, it's, it's an indigenous consciousness. And that's just not for Native Americans, but it's for everyone. Because as I said earlier, that indigenous DNA is in all of us. If we go back to the basics, back to the drawing board, so to speak, that that sooner or later, because we know we've been going on this path for four four thousand years of rationality, and uh, we know now that like this this mess we messed it up with this type of thinking. So it be it seems the simple formula is to go back to who we are as human beings and begin rather than end it um, in a so- different. Yeah. Would you say for you then, I mean, you would obviously are someone who would not need to go through that process. And so how are you, Teokis and Ghost Horse, the self, the, the persona that your brain is projecting or your, your brain heart, I suppose, uh, or heart brain, I guess that would be the order. Um, how how are you contextualized as a person? Are you the controller? I mean, it, it seems like what we're saying is that there is this sense of self 
that wants to sort of remain as, you know, God, if you will, uh, that needs to go away in order for real God or real consciousness or real whatever word you want to use to shine through the the, the vessel, the human. Um, so if you're somebody who does live that point of view, who are you in that, in that scheme of things? If you're not the controller, if you're not the one who says, you know, I am the center of the universe. Well, I, I've been often asked that question. Um, and, <laughs> you have? <laughs> yes, I really have. And, and I think that basically it's just uh, um, I'm just a conveyor of a message. And the message comes from the people that, I, that, I, um, that instill the, the, the message there. I mean, you know, I'm carrying the message in a bottle, so to speak, and and it's the old people that I came from that they gave it to me, and they knew somehow that I, when I was sitting there as a little boy with all the old people and not playing with the other children, that there was something up, and uh, I didn't realize that till I got older too. Like, oh wow, I was there sitting with those old people and I'm listening, and that that was kind of odd, you know, and yet they knew. And they didn't um, say, go play, that you won't understand this. In fact, I knew very well what I was hearing because I was able to understand because of the circumstances, the conditions and the circumstances I was forced into by coming into the society called America and understanding where I would be able to to convey the message. Mm -hmm. See, I wonder if if what this whole supposed alien abduction thing is, is that... um, it's for a society that doesn't have that sort of understanding about our own young, you know? Like, I would never sit in a room full of, you know, my dad's friends, and they'd know anything about me as a kid. It would be go play. Um, but if if the way the world actually works is um, that that higher interconnectedness and that knowing, then perhaps these these are almost surrogate parents in a way. They're coming and saying to the person who believes he is the center of the universe. Uh, you're not that. <laughs> you've got to wake up out of this, and you've got to share this with other people. And now I, or or whoever, I'm just saying I, but now I, as the person um, receiving this from them, can either see that that's what that is, or I can get really scared and filter it through my own cultural fears, call them aliens, call them evil doctors or whatever and um and i guess that's sort of the free will choice that i have which is to live in fear of it and see it that way or to accept it for what it is you know maybe that's sort of what's going on did that make sense yeah it, it does um, and and no doubt we are seeing that through the um uh how do we how, how do, we we elect people to do that we put them there we appoint people to do that and um and in a, lose, in, a, in a fashion where we define freedom to the people we're appointing, and uh, because that freedom comes from something that we didn't have, and so if we, we didn't have freedom in the first place, and we're defining it for other people, then we really don't know what freedom's about. So the message is about forming a real relationship with those communities, those peoples of all colors, peoples, races, or whatever, and then, again, based on respect and real understanding of those peoples and places. And now here's sort of a, just a pedestrian question. Uh, when you're sitting around with uh, other Lakota and other people who do come from your point of view and you, you all are on the same page, what do you talk about? What is a mystery for you? A mystery would be a joke. 
<laughs> a, mi- a mystery would be um, like we talked about earlier, the, the thirteen million dollar baseball player and the homeless person. Where's the where's the disconnect between that? A mystery would be something that that is uh, sung. A mystery is is something that we know or that we don't understand that, that we we want to know in, in a way that affects all of us so that we feel responsible for life. I think the mystery that we have as Wakan means knowing that everything is alive. But where we lose that mystery is um, is losing understanding that everything is alive. I think that's the only difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess sort of one more, I guess, just environmental question. Um, you know, it seems to always come up as an argument, you know, can humans at this point reverse the damage that, that we've done to the earth? Or is that a moot point because the earth has its own natural cycles of change and we're just sort of in the middle of that and blaming ourselves wrongly for it? Uh, where does the Lakota stand on that? Uh, we have responsibility. And uh, one is to take care of our mother and just put it in that simple term. And if we forget that responsibility, then it, we can only be the ones who are responsible for that. And I'm not saying blame or whatever, but um, I think that we have done the damage to ourselves because we haven't learned how to live with Earth. We're the only species on this planet that has not learned how to live with Earth. So it's a damage to ourselves. And Mother Earth, she, she can always heal. And that's what she's trying to do to us by explaining it in the languages that are so deep that our brains may not ever understand. But when you start feeling through your heart, you understand what she is saying. Um, I think that's that's a key to it. And uh, it's one of the keys. It's not the only answer. It's not the only choice. Um, but it, it's where I'm coming from. And we're not lauding it over other people saying that's the only way. And I think that's another difference. Yeah, no, you're, you're definitely not. And I Really appreciate that, and I really hope that people listening to this are really listening to this and not trying to draw it into their own. <laughs> I think we have a tendency to try to, you know, take what we like out of something and add it to ourselves. And this isn't about adding something to yourself. It's really just listen, just shut up and listen. <laughs> That's sort of my been my mantra for the last few years. Um, Anyway, uh, I, I want to thank you f- so much for doing this. And is there is there anything else? Is there anything we didn't cover or anything that you want the listeners to know? Well, all I know is there's different ways of thinking and uh, that we should really explore that in the sense of um, knowing that there, 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 things have changed. The paradigm shift has happened, and I don't know how else to put it in a short sentence, but that we need to pay attention not just to ourselves in a form of I, I, me, me, but in relationship with all things on earth. And um, if we we do that, I think we can really open up and and I don't have to worry so much, really, because if you if you experience relationship, um, which I, I can say right now that I um, I haven't really fully explicit, uh, experienced relationship to life because my uh, my life is not over yet. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. And um, does Ghost Horse, the uh, music group, do you, do you have another uh, album coming out anytime soon? Yeah, we do. Um, we should have one by early next um, next uh, February, March, and it's called uh, Akantu, A-K-N-T-U, which means um, becoming the human being 
or becoming a wise one like like the ancient people and in a sense in so many words hmm. but it becomes a once you become a human being you become a wise one like the old people like the ancient ones well i i think it's great that you know you you were great enough to play our you know culture of contact event that i think about five people came out to and now you're playing lincoln lincoln center which is the equivalent of radio city music hall for those of you who don't know uh new york well, uh that's fantastic yeah, I had, we had, I think we had a better time out in New Jersey than we did at Lincoln Center. Was, <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, thanks uh, for for you know for talking and and keeping it human and um, helping to break down the romanticizing and the, the current and historical stereotyping and uh, um, you know offering this understanding. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Sir. Thank you, sir. Have a good night. Me too. Thank you. Hi, this is Mitch Horowitz, the author of Occult America, and you are listening to Paratopia. Hi, this is Bill Burns from UFO Magazine and UFO Hunters. You know, there are several ways that you can get UFO, UFO Magazine. Magazine. Yeah, we know, Bill. We know, we know, we know. Just shut up. Just give us one way. Don't tell us you're psychic and, you know, give it 8,000 phone numbers and take 15 minutes of our time when we just want to hear the show. Just tell us how we can get UFO Magazine in one way. Okay, okay, just go to www.ufomag.com, subscribe online. You happy? Yeah, was that so hard? Actually, harder than you know. People of Earth, it's Jeremy Vaney. I'm here to tell you about the Mass Monster Mash. This is a conference at Hiberian Hall in Watertown, Massachusetts, 151 Waterton Street. This is October 16th, 17th, and 18th. Uh, my friend Tim Banal is helping to put this on. And uh, the speakers include your friends and mine, Nick Redfern, Peter Robbins, Nancy Talbot will be there, Lauren Coleman, John Horrigan, Chris Balzano, Jeff Belanger, oh, all sorts of people. Along with a mystery bus tour on Sunday, hmm, the Mass Mystery Tour, where you'll be taken around to uh, such areas uh, as the Bridgewater Triangle, I think. Maybe, possibly. I'm really happy for you. I'm let you finish. But Beyonce had one of the best videos of all time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, Kanye. I know. You got to interrupt everything. Fine. You know what? This isn't going so well anyway. The point is, you want to know more about this conference, October 16th, 17th, and 18th, you got to go to www.massmonstermash.com. And um, we'll have Tim Banal on next week to explain it all to us. Okay? Peace. Eerie Radio, the endeavor for esoteric research and investigation into the enigmatic. Eerie Radio is a weekly podcast that features interviews with the world's leading paranormal researchers. Download episodes of Eerie Radio from your favorite podcatcher or directly from the show website at www.eerieradio.com. Eerie Radio. Listen. Learn. Laugh. So the Jeff. No, you go first. No, really. Uh... How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm I'm good. I'm I'm still reeling after the uh, announcement by Anthony Bregalia. Bregalia. I don't know how to say his name, I'll say but Bregalia. It sounds fancy. I'll say Bregalia. It does sound fancy that way. 
uh, and his report that the Zamora uh, landing case. Lonnie is, Zamora. Was, was this yeah. the, refresh me, was this the cop or was this the guy who claimed to have sex with an alien? No, this was the police officer who saw beings around a landed craft, and then they got in and left. And apparently it was a, uh, it was a hoax perpetrated by some college students, so says this report. Huh. I don't know whether I buy that or not, but uh, I'll have to read it again and let it sink in. But still, sending shockwaves through the UFO community tonight. I see. So not a hoax in that the cop was in on it. Correct. Yeah. College students. So, I don't know. I don't know if I buy it or not. I'm not sure there's enough direct evidence of that. But uh, nonetheless, it's going to be a hot topic for the next week or so in this stuff. So, we'll see what happens. Well, hopefully, um, we'll find out that it was a hoax. uh, And then, in a couple of years, Mike Good, the blogger slash UFO magazine writer, can write an article telling everyone how we should pay more attention to the Lonnie Zamora case because even though it was proven to be a hoax, um, it's not a hoax because we don't know what anything is because this topic is so crazy that anything could be anything at any given time. It could be Gandhi. This seems to be the thrust of his his work, and I put that in quotes. <laughs> Gandhi, Lincoln, Kennedy? Yes, yes. His latest article in UFO Magazine, he... He says we should really pay attention to contactees. Now, granted, George Dansky was probably lying because, well, he said he was. But uh, <laughs> let, let's pay attention to them anyway because, you know, they, they had great messages like no nukes, uh, which is anything that Gandhi or Martin Luther King or, you know, any of the greats would, uh, would get behind. Buddha. I mean, who wouldn't want no nukes? So uh, it's a valid message probably from on high. Um or he's high, one of the two. Right. Right. And also, uh, well, I mean, this is kind of how it works in, in with the whole UFO field. I mean, you go through a number of years, and you have to see if evidence actually holds up to time. And that's what... That's what really is the true test of things. I mean, you can look back at the Trent photos and say that those photos have held up the test of time. As time has gone on, as technology has gotten better at being able to analyze still images and film images, we've been able to throw away a great body of evidence that we considered really credible at one point in time. But as technology gets better, we're able to discover more about what we're looking at. And I had this discussion on Above Top Secret, uh, I guess about a day ago, someone had brought up the, uh, the Gulf Breeze stuff and said that Maccabee and I had apparently studied it in depth and this that well Bruce has studied it in depth because he's been exposed to the full gambit of evidence out of that case uh, I did hold some of the original Walters photographs in my hands years ago that Bruce brought to a meeting we both attended and uh, you know and, and a lot of people I have to say a lot of people was kind of surprised uh, I'm surprised how many people are ready to resign that to a hoax based off of just the way they look, that they're so good, how could they be? And I had to kind of remind people that, hey, guess what? The road shot, which is probably one of the more famous golf breeze shots, doesn't look anything like that on the original photograph. It's just a black photograph with an orange speck in the middle. And that a lot of what you see in those photographs in the book are after, you know, this 
thing has been put through uh, the polar magic machine, which you know basically lifted up layers and layers of emulsion and looked down into the emulsion to bring out greater detail out of underexposed and overexposed objects and all of that. So I was kind of surprised at that. So I guess uh, the guy who started the thread was upset over the model being found in the attic. And and again, I had to rem- I said, well, number one, the model doesn't match anything that was <laughs> that was seen in the photographs at all, not at all. And uh, so I guess I kind of made people think a little bit about that that we really can't dismiss it yet. Um, but I definitely count it as being strange. And in the end, my my I think my end game with that was. If it stands up to time, if 10 or 15 years down the road we're still, you know, questioning that case, then I'd say it's it's holding up decently. Why can't we do that same process with any uh, photo that looks like a, a tiny dot of light uh, in a black background? Well, I mean, Walter's pictures were the peel-apart type Polaroid, which has a very thick emulsion on it. And as that emulsion... Uh, develops there's there's finer levels levels of detail as you as you go down into that emulsion that emulsion uh, material whereas what we're looking at today with digital pictures and whatnot i mean in a lot of ways i think the old analog cameras captured a lot more interesting things that that may or may not be worth anything in the long run Mm -hmm. but um you know digital photographs You've got cameras that are automatically putting compression in, but you've got EXIF data, so you can look through that and tell what it's been diddled with or within. Um, in some ways, it's gotten easier. In a lot of ways, it's you know, it's like you have to wonder when Photoshop's going to put in the UFO button. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> put it here. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, I suppose you when you're when you're talking about that Polaroid pull apart type. There are ways to to burn, and there are ways to do certain things that you really you can still do with digital media, um, but digital media is a whole another tricky deal. It's a it's a whole another kettle of fish besides something of a a negative or a Polaroid thick emulsion type print. Um, so you can't always do those same things. Different processes, just different different media. Very nice. So, shall we move on to Teokasen Ghost Horse? Or was there sure. something else? Uh, no, I think that's it. Okay. I think that's it. I guess I just want to say that, um, you know, I went back and I listened to our interview at Culture Contact before we did this show. Um, and I don't even think when I conducted that interview, I had all the proper tools <laughs> mind tools to really get what he was saying because I got a lot more out of it even listening to it this time. And I thought I got a lot out of it hearing it the first time. Um, and, but I, you know, I just know more because I've done more of my own work. And so I guess what I'm saying is I can relate more to the type of usage of language that he is, uh, that he's utilizing. And, and even though he is speaking English, <laughs> he's using it differently than I think people are used to um, because that's how you have to express some of this stuff. And so it was interesting to read the public comments and remember back to the private emails that I got. And like I said to him, you know, a lot of people 
um, said, oh, you, you made me cry. Just, just listening to his words made, made me cry. Um, or listening to him speak at the Culture of Contact event made them cry, brought them to tears. Um, and then some people said, oh, this is crap. You know, this is, he's just using doublespeak and talking around things and all of that. And um, I think what both of those things are getting at is that this particular usage of language, um, even if we don't, even if we don't understand it, we're basically of two minds about it. One is the mind that says that gets it in some unconscious way enough to bring tears to your eyes, um, to to hit you emotionally, even if you can't verbalize what it is about that, about what he's saying that that's bringing you to tears. It's still hitting you. Uh, and then the other one is just the complete blocked off, oh, this is garbage, I don't want to hear this. Um, because it does, and he's aware that, um, you know, unfortunately, I think he maybe, I mean, I, I don't know that he does, but I think he, he worries about it just from what he said, that he might get lumped in with new age type thinking. You know, this is my fear about what I say, you know, all the time, is that we're, we're sharing a language to describe things, but we're coming from different places. New age is coming from the place of, reaffirm my sense of self, I want to be the center of the universe, I want, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm already God as I am, <laughs> let's say. Um, and then the other is truly a point of, you know, point of view of oneness beyond the ego um, that the New Age pretends to to be, but really the New Age is just a, a response to religion. It's like religion is completely restrictive and blah, blah, blah. And then the New Age is like, no, let's be more free, but then they're too free. They're not grounded in anything. And the Lakota, it would appear, uh, from listening to Tioxin, uh, have are beyond this question. They don't even because they don't even come from a place of brain or rationality the way that we do. They come from, as he would say, a place of heart from which springs rationality and the usage of the brain. And um, so, in a sense, we're we're talking about um, apples and oranges, but using the language of fruit. And so apples want to say, we understand oranges because we're all speaking fruit, right? But, uh, but, but we don't. Huh. Well, I feel really inferior now because I didn't get any of that on the, the discussion at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, maybe I'm, I, maybe I'm, I, I mean, I don't think that what he said was had no meaning. I don't think that. Uh, there was double speak or a notion to try to bullcrap somebody, but um, it seemed like a lot of what was said to me seemed to be almost self-evident. Not so much, uh, uh, I mean, self-evident to the point of being overcomplicated in in explanation or in uh, well, like what for example? or in the in the verbalization of it. I mean, just uh, I mean, I think he said something about. Um, table and a chair in, a, in his apartment, you know, and the, the table serves him and the, the chair does what it's supposed to do. It's serving him, you know, and um, I think that kind of almost speaks to something I heard people talking about a while back where this notion of everything being alive. Um, and I guess just due to some of the, the films I've watched and the documentaries I've, I've watched, the, the notion of Everything being made of the same stuff seems kind of I, – I, I've, I've kind of fit that into my, into my thought patterns now. I fit that into my paradigm, if you want to say that. And uh, I, I don't know. I, that, that's an interesting thought, but 
you know, if I break a chair up and throw it in the garbage can, I don't think it cries. Um, Well, then I don't think you got what he was saying. I don't think that's... Well, I probably didn't, uh, (laughs) you know, because I, I, you know, I I don't... um, uh, It's not alive in that sense. It's alive in... It's... It's that all, like you just said, all things fundamentally are energy. No, I'm being completely sarcastic about the crying thing. I'm saying not alive in that sense, but that the idea that the chair is there, you know, essentially to serve him, to be, this is what it does. It's doing what it's supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. You know, the chair is chairing, the table is tabling, you know. I I mean, that, what? (laughs) No, I think it's even more than that. I think it's that what he's saying is that... All of this, all of this sense of separate things, whether they be alive or not, is all one thing, is all energy. And so it is all of these things in service to him or you or me is one talking to oneself. Everything is only ever oneness talking to oneself through these separate senses and through these separate objects. <clears throat> and so, I, you know, I think he's just saying, you know, it's, that's sort of the point of view that that the Lakota are coming from. And so when you, um, so even taking, for instance, the, um, you know, the war where, where white man would say, well, we won, we killed off the Indians and, right. you know, and then the Indians would say, well, we're, no, we're not losers. We didn't, you know, we, you people are tyrants or whatever. Like all of that is irrelevant. It's really that whole situation is one talking to oneself, uh, in, in such a way that needed to be for whatever reason, you know, for, uh, well, I mean, ultimately, if we're if we're heading toward uh, some sort of marriage of heart and rationality, then maybe you know you could make the argument that some of these things are you know necessary outbursts for that to even be relevant, <laughs> you know, for well, that separation to occur so that they can come together uh, to recognize so. the to recognize the division line, you know, between the two. All right. Make it hash out. Well, I mean, why it has to manifest itself in that way, I don't know. Other than that's probably the most potent, uh, you know, shaking and waking up scenario that you could probably get would be a war. Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I thought the whole notion of uh, Native Americans aren't abducted, and and to me, that's. That's a simple matter of of culture. If a culture, if you're raised up from a baby to believe or to know that these things are real and that these things exist and they won't hurt you and they're whatever they are, uh, which is something that I kind of wanted to ask him and just I don't know I don't know why, but I had a brain fart and essentially didn't ask. You know, so Teokasin, what are these people? What are these things? Um, I mean, I don't know that I'd have got an answer. Um, because I don't even know if they know. Um, because again, they, they go of the notion of everything is of one, uh, so it would just be some kind of re- reflection of of the one or of all. Well, he sort of said, you know, they provide mystery. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's sort of an evolutionary force. You know, I mean, it it is to me the unknowable. Um, to a certain degree, it's the unknowable. Unknowable. But uh, and I think that they that they don't get abducted because probably it's it's the notion of uh, uh, the culture that that's that that's raised within uh, any culture that that 
basically raises children from a baby to know about star people and to know that they won't hurt you and that uh uh i, I read the was it black elk speaks many years ago and and he talked about uh star people come down it, what's the big deal they come down you get on a ride you go for a ride in their ship they bring you back it's no big deal it was that kind of narrative in that book and uh it, it was no big deal so i don't see that as being you're only more communed with them because you've been raised in a sense to know that this is a reality and that this is not something you know you, you're not looped into that whole uh rational framework or materialist framework you're you're it's a it's a completely different culture it's a completely different way of life and i think that anybody would have a hard time trying to understand that in 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 a podcast or two um to understand where somebody's coming with with the whole cultural framework that they've they've grown up around with all their life i don't know i i think that there's i i I couldn't give you a for instance because this has been what a week ago or a little less than a week ago Mm -hmm. some of the things i just felt like well yeah about I, I and I, I can't even remember what they were, but I was like, well, isn't that kind of evident? I, I don't know. Maybe it's not. Maybe I'm, you know, oblivious to, you know, what the masses think of stuff like this. But a couple of things for me were like, well, yeah, okay, I get that. That seems pretty evident. Um, and, well, if that's see, here's where I get confused about you. If you think that that is self-evident. Um, then why would you, you know, how long have you thought that that was self-evident, what you just said about culture and is how you perceive them? I mean, it just, that's, that seems completely logical okay, to me. So to, if that's, that, if that's uh, self-evident, then why are you wasting your time kicking around in fear and, and asking yourself, is this demonic? Is this aliens? Is this, what is this? For your entire life. If it's simply a matter of, well, I could have been raised a Lakota and none of this would even be a question because they'd <laughs> be pulling around in their ships. That should right. tell you something. Well, you know, it's taken me, you know, 42 years or 40, 40 years, let's say, to to realize that uh, that it's a reflection of some sort, at least to me, you know. But there's something in the self-evident stuff that's getting missed. You know what I mean? It's like it's self-evident, but it's not. How is the self-evidence of that not immediately affecting you the moment that you recognize it? You know, like if you recognize it, I'm not Lakota. I, I wasn't brought up with this. This was not. You know. No, I know, but but like if you're in an abduction situation, why can't you tell right. yourself, well, you know, the only reason I'm scared is because I was raised by people who don't know anything about this, so there's nothing to be afraid of. I mean, why all the fear and anxiety and all that stuff for an entire lifetime if it's completely obvious that it doesn't need to be that way? I think I understand what you're saying. I mean, to me, it's like when I did the shrooms alone, right? And, well, it's uh, the... Uh, and, and in the back of my head, anytime I would get scared or paranoid, I'd say... Well, I read that people get scared and paranoid. Therefore, I know that's what I'm going through. So I'm just going to let this happen, and it won't have an effect on me. I mean, wouldn't it be the same thing? You know, well, I've read that other people are raised with this, and it's just fine for them. So the fear is my own. I'm going to own it and see what happens. I mean, I don't think it is as self-evident in in because I'm just scared. Because ultimately, it's so it's so individualized and tailored that I don't know that I'm experiencing the same thing that they did. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they refer to them as star people. I don't think that's it at all. You know, I mean, I wholly disagree with that as a terminology of describing these people. Um, so I mean that that seems completely different to me. And in fact, I don't know sitting here on this chair that what they talk about as this experience is what my experience is, mm-hmm. you know, 
it's the feeling of the isolation of being, you know, raised in that in, in a culture that says you're dreaming. It's this. It's that. It's whatever. It seems self-evident to me that their culture deals with this in a completely different way. You know, I didn't know that every culture dealt with this in a different way when I was five years old and and 15 and 18 and 22 and 25. Yeah, I didn't know that. You know, this is this is portrayed in the media that I've been exposed to as a terrifying experience um, with all sorts of horror stories attached to it. Yeah, but I guess and here's what I'm getting at. It's like okay, we do these shows, right? And we have these, and we do interviews, and you and I, we talk to each other, and it's up until recently, it's you know always this this creepy, awful sort of horror story waiting to happen, right? Uh, and then someone comes along and says, "Hey, but it doesn't have to be that way. I don't even understand why it is that way for you. It's not that way for me." And then if your answer is, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I know," but anyway, getting back to my horror story. <laughs> seems something disingenuous about that, you know, just on the level of like, then you don't need to have the horror story. Why are you just saying, yeah, 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 that's self-evident. Why not? Be- because I don't like the loss of control. Hmm. I mean, I've said that before. That's the root of why I fear these things is because I don't like the loss of control. So, I mean, there's nothing disingenuous about that. I don't care what they are. They're not of of my normal everyday routine and therefore – when I've witnessed firsthand how they can literally uh, remove the control of your thoughts, your your presence, your your location, I'm not into that kind of loss of control, and that's the part that bothers me. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, now I'm at the point where um, where it seems to have significantly changed for me, but again, I. I mean, I don't know anybody's experience except my own. And 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 in the end, for me, you know, that's the only thing that's going to matter. I, I And I've said this a billion times is that I'm in this for very selfish reasons. I'm in it because it's affected me. I don't really, you know, whatever anybody else comes to with it is irrelevant for me. I, I've got to go with what I'm seeing, what I'm what, what I'm what I'm what is talking to me, what is doing whatever with me. But what if, so what if. Whatever is talking to you is trying to get you to break through your own sense of self and your own sense of control. Then are you just perpetually going to be at this place with it, or do you think you'll ever uh, give it up? I think I know that I've got more control of it than I used to. I think that uh, I think that. Well, I used to believe there was no way to stop it. There was no way to turn this off. There was no way to uh, get out of it. And I know that nowadays there there is definitely a way to get out of it, which is to really cut all ties with everything connected to it in, you know, in life. Kill the podcast. Don't write about it. Don't visit the message boards. Don't entertain it at all. Completely sever everything about it, which I'm not really willing to do anymore. But I did do in past years, and it worked. <laughs> I had nothing for a long time. And now since being back into this, since – uh Going to conferences again, having long discussions with you on the phone. Guess what? Everything's back like it was. However, I've got a certain amount of, I don't know, balls about it now because, um, you know, much like the the fractal experience up in the bedroom. I mean, that I should have normally have been really afraid of that. Like, what is going on? I have no control over what I'm seeing, and I'm seeing this, and there's no way I can shut it out. But I knew that 
I, I, I'm going to, I'm just going to sit and observe. I kind of did take that step back out of myself and say, stop being afraid and just watch, which is what I did. And I don't think I can over-exaggerate the importance of what that, that experience was because since then, as you know, it's changed dramatically as to what it was. And I do have a measure of thought about it. You know, I've got a, I've got a, um, I've got a better handle on what I think about it, but I don't I don't necessarily feel like comfortable about saying what I think. <laughs> mm-hmm. Everything well, is going on with it. So let me try it this way. Let me ask you this. All right, mm-hmm. if, if, if because I think that Well, let, 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 let me bring up one point though. I mean, you, uh, on the other hand, on the other hand, uh you had said to me that you heard a buzzing in your ear and yet became incredibly fearful and said, "No, this is not happening tonight." Uh-huh. So where is your fear coming from if you know the Lakota knows that this is not a bad thing? And I, I'm asking the same question that you just asked me. Uh, well, I didn't know that before this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. It, it seems like the disconnect is that, that you think his point is we were raised in two different cultures. Right. Uh, therefore, we have two different opinions about this thing. And I actually think his his point of view, if I may, if, uh, and I, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but I think his point of view is the Lakota point of view about this is more correct than what we have, and so why are we sticking with this notion of fear and all of that? It's not that it's not just that they were raised not to be fearful. It's that you know, as a result, uh, they do have more wisdom about this stuff. They do have an open relationship. And, and so on and so forth. And so, um, you know, so it's not just a matter of, of being raised in two different cultures and having two separate but equal opinions. Um, one is clearly more correct than the next. Do you buy that, if that's what he was getting at? And this is going to get some touchy. Does this come touchy. into just intergalactic racism at some point, you know, in some weird way? <laughs> it's like we fear what we don't know. Well, of course you do. I mean, well, let me put it this way. I'll, I'll play. I'll play the devil's advocate advocate of, of this particular segment of this. If just say the, the Lakota have a more definitive relationship with visitors than anybody else, then where has that gotten them? Besides a, I would say a a way of thinking and a way of thought about the world in which probably 99.9% of the population can't relate to them. Yeah, but I don't find that to be a valid barometer because, as you know, 99.9% well, are morons. Right. I mean, just think about anything <laughs> right. where, you know, the pyramid scheme is that the top is the top 1% and the bottom is the bottom. The base is always larger. Um, and, and I ask, and what's as the positive And where has it gotten you, I, you know... A, do we have a right to that, to know that, as we are? I don't, I don't think we do. And um, I don't think we can assume... I mean, I think we have a right to know if it exists or not. I mean, if it's, if it's been a, an ingrained part of their culture for so long, and, and, and they have a working relationship with this, with this whatever... You don't want to go anywhere when you're saying, like, where does it get you? Well, I'm saying, what... what uh, I don't know, I'm trying to put my hands around I mean, something what, and say... What would be hey, an example this, this of something is, that, that would... Ben, you know, what would be a benefit or, or you know, I guess I'm trying to get at what you think would be the somewhere to go. Anything. I mean, anything. It, uh, well, I guess uh, we should have asked that. I don't know. 
I, anything. It, I mean, if it, if it's enlightenment, great. And you can't qualify that. You can't put that in a box and say, here it is. You know, I mean, I realize that. And if that's what it is, fantastic. But other than that, what's it, you know, what, what, where, where's the, like, let's put it to you this way. Like, uh, some people during experiences are given knowledge that they couldn't have known or the shaman in the, in the Amazon is, is uh, told by the plants to mix these two together and do this with it. Or, you know, there's always that presence of the other that seems to guide or, or uh, suggest different things. So my question is, is for the Lakota, where, what kind of viable direction has the visitor or the other or the anomaly sent them? Because I am of the opinion that that contact with another, if you can call it that, seems to suggest other things, other ways of thinking, other real-world things, if you want to real in quotes, of course, real-world things. Where has it taken them? Where have they progressed as a result of the relationship with the visitors? If it's been a strictly an enlightenment thing, that's great. But we can't qualify that. But is there anything else that has pretty much... Well, if it's an enlightenment thing with with the uh, foresight of some, you know, evolutionary uh, event, let's say, that's going to happen, or we're in the middle of, or whatever, then ultimately uh, all the stuff getting to that event isn't going to be worthwhile after the event, so there's no freedom in that, you know? Like, there's nothing that they could give them um, leading up to it. In all the years leading up to it, that would be useful in the real world because essentially the whole real world is about to change. You know what I mean? So I guess this is all just my, you know, hypothesis off the top of my head. Sure, sure, sure. But if they were given any sort of like, okay, you know, during this end of this age, uh, heart and mind are going to come together and human, you know, the whole definition of human is going to be different or something, you know, something along those lines, then what would be uh, something useful that they could get in the meantime from these beings? Mm. I mean, there is nothing. Just keep that alive. Just know that that's happening and keep promoting, you know, as much enlightened thought as you can. And here, here's this language. Here's your written language because now you're dealing with, I mean, this is essentially what he said in the culture contact thing, that, that it, it's, their written language came from Lakota and the Greys. The Greys helped them with their language, the written language, because... They needed to show that they were, quote-unquote, worthy uh, of the rational, you know, well, we've got a written language, you know, of the rational mind, but that, in fact, written language is actually lower language. It's actually all lower form of language, and I think that, that, that to me, is something fascinating, you know? I mean, you think about Shakespeare and all these brilliant things that are, uh, but they're not. They're really not when you think about it. I mean, they're all brilliant in terms of ego and, like, exploring your own psychology and your own sense of things, mm-hmm. but... If you don't have that as your your reference point, then yeah, it's just sort of probably boring. <laughs> probably speaking, that's why I asked him. I bet you don't. I bet Lakota don't speak a lot when they're around each other. You know, I bet. And no, I, I I just assume it. That's the way it is with enlightened people in general. Is less talky, more more meditationy, or less talk, more just sort of knowing. I mean, what what's there to talk about at that point? I mean, what is talking? you know, in relationship to somebody else. It's always trying to, like, 
get at these answers. And if you already are beyond the sense of self that needs all of these answers personally and in the broader ones that we're trying to figure out, then yeah, I guess there's not much to talk about. So I don't know. And really what's there, what's there really in life? What is there really to, where's your motivation for that? Where's your motivation for life at all? When you realize that when you're at that level what is there? I mean, I think you've had, I think you've had these kind of feelings before. Like, okay, I'm, have I got it? This is, is this what it is? Have I no, got it? Am I, I, I done now? I, no, I, I think I'm definitely in my day to day existence. I'm missing heart. You know, mm-hmm. like I have bouts of compassion and things like that, but fits <laughs> of compassion. But um, but no, I I would think, but I definitely don't come from a point of view, uh, at least yet, uh, of life for life's sake. You know, I mean, I get it intellectually. I've had the big, you know, I am experience as an experience, but I don't mm-hmm. live in that state. And I think that, and, and not that they do either, but they live a facsimile of that. They certainly seem to live uh, the tenets of that. Um, and mm-hmm. just even talking about, you know, well, I see I eat this fruit. My brother eats this fruit. Animals eat this fruit. Therefore, on the DNA level, we're all the same. Therefore, everything is oneness. You know, I mean, that's nobody had to like open up a slit in his back and pour in a universal energy to force him to see the Big Bang to get that notion. You know what I mean? Right, right, <laughs> right. Uh, well, but I, I and I also don't think it's it's. See, I, I've got another problem that I'm only just now smart enough to realize. You know, like we're only just now aware enough to realize just in these past few weeks, which is in thinking that we have any right to take a look at what we could be, you know, what's next and judge whether we want to do that or not. As if, and, and, and I guess the analogy is just the cocoon. It's like you're in a cocoon, you have to leave it and become a butterfly. Uh, you got to chew your way out. There's no two ways about that. You chew your way out or you die. That's it. And so for you to sit in your cocoon and watch a TV show about flying and decide whether or not it's for you is irrelevant. And then, Further irrelevant, because once you're there, once you're the butterfly, great! You, now you know real freedom that you couldn't have known in the cocoon when you thought that you were choosing what you wanted to do. When you thought you were in control and choosing, it looked like an option you had and, and maybe not so great. But once you're doing it, once you're in it and you are that point of view, there's no choice but to love it, you know? Mm-hmm. So I don't think it, I don't think any of these people, be it Lakota, be it, you know, Tibetan monks, whoever, anyone who has figured out um, the point of view of, of oneness, if you will, I don't think that they see things like what, what am I getting out of this? Or, you know, or even boredom, am I bored? You know, like, I just think being alive is, is fascinating at every moment in some, some respect, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think well, all of this choosing and boredom and stuff, that's for, that's for schmucks like you and me who, uh, you know, don't <laughs> deal with our shit. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think, and this this thought came up uh, while you were talking, but I think a lot of people look at the the notion of everything being at a molecular level is the same stuff. We are all made of the same stuff, and we can say that we're made of the same stuff as the the, the monitor or the tree out the window or the leaf or the grass or the ground. It's one thing to say that and go, "Yeah, okay, I get that. I get that." But I don't feel that. 
There's only been a couple of times in my life where I've actually felt that. And that is a weird feeling. That's a very strange feeling. And I think that that feeling is what Tiokasen speaks more to, and that's why it's so hard to verbalize and for other people to get. The, the oneness thing is, is a hard experience to, to get. I've only had it in an altered state of consciousness. That's the only time that that's ever happened to me, um, where I looked at, uh, the, of all things, the, the goddamn end table and dresser and said, I feel like I'm looking right at me. You know, It was something as dumb as that. Uh, but it just all of a sudden became so readily apparent, and there was a uh, a feeling of hugeness in the world of that kind of thing. Uh, very, I don't think a lot of people feel it. They understand the concept. They get it on a scientific level or on an intellectual level, but they don't feel it. And that's, you know, I think that's maybe a portion of what people miss, probably a portion of what I'm missing in and I'll have to re-listen to this show. Well, which that's I'll... just it. That's just it. I mean, okay, just take what you just said and then go back to the table and chair thing that he said. How is that right. different? And what you said about that table and chair thing was, well, duh. I mean, he's, yeah. overstating, he's overstating the case. Well, that's why I'm but saying. I just thought when like you he's were... overstating the case. No, I got, I, like I said, experience. when you were talking is when I thought that. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's, that's, that's more along the lines of he's feeling that. But he feels it all the time. Or does he? I don't know if he feels that all the time. He feels that absolute connection. See, I think he does. I think all those guys do, you know. Uh, and again, uh, going back to the real, you know, the Buddhists, the Zen people who are, do have that connection and smile a lot as a result, <laughs> whereas mm. I don't. <laughs> bah, humbug. So you, so you don't feel that all the time either? Well, I have the weird thing of, you know, whatever this energy is, which probably is an aspect of me, it's mm. probably a schizophrenic response to... Uh, coming out of the cocoon, which is I'm now going to splinter this off as another personality. Uh, mm. But whatever, that personality uh, does take me over uh, or whatever when I'm just walking down the street and make me smile and look goofy and eh, look like a little kid looking around at trees and buildings <laughs> and stuff. And I'm well aware that that's not me doing it, and yet it is me doing it at the same time. So clearly, you know, I'm still a broken person, but I think that there is... Um, because I don't come from the heart, you know? I'm still trapped in mind, I guess, is the problem. But I would think that if you did come from... And he said the heart, and he didn't he didn't indicate the actual location of your heart. He indicated what, you know, Hindus and Buddhists call uh, the heart chakra, which is uh-huh. sort of the center of your chest. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I gather from that, then, if you're coming from there, that that is open and active. And if that is always open and active and informing your decisions energy centered, then yeah, I think he is always in tune with that stuff. And that what he was saying about, you know, sort of living in New York with the rational mind and the, the one-upsmanship and all of that and thanking us for doing the show, you know, I think all of that is about the more you live amongst these people that you're trying to talk to, the more he closed off this becomes, this heart chakra, and the more you start oh. using your brain and um, on its own, <laughs> untethered, and that's a dangerous thing as we've all seen in our lifetimes right right well i imagine it is hard to live that way and not care about possessions or money or the the daily nine to five grind uh because you have to to exist as we are now (laughs) 
you know, and whether or not, I mean, like I said, the, the 2012 thing, any of that stuff, I don't know that that's, I mean, I've always felt that something major was going to happen in our lifetimes. And I think you mentioned to me that some other people have had that same feeling and they thought it was 9-11, but then no, that's not it. There's still something else that's there. You know, I, and I wrote you a, a an email this week and I said, you know, what's it going to look like? What's it going to feel like? What's it going to how are we going to perceive this? Are we going to know what's happening? Are we not? Is it just something that's going to happen and everybody's going to be different? I mean, I think about, you know, what what are what is the what is the mechanism of perception going to be at this event if this event even happens? I mean, people have been talking about this for years and it hasn't happened yet. You know, what, what do you see with that? I mean, what what's your What's your thought to that? Are, is it, are we all going to be – I mean, is New York going to come to a standstill and everybody goes, what the hell are we doing? Is that what it's going to be? Is it going to be that or is it going to be something so cool we can't even think about it? <laughs> um, I think it's going to be completely awful. I think it's going to be um, cataclysmic stuff where the fundamentalist Christians go, rapture is coming, you know. Judgment Day, hooray! I think all of that hooray Judgment Day stuff is their way of intuiting that something's coming down the pike, like mm-hmm. ants barricading their home before a storm, and, um, and 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 being able to put a happy face on their demise. <laughs> That's really what I think. And then whoever is left over <laughs> from <laughs> said cataclysm or cataclysms, I don't think it's going to be a one day, you know, event where everyone wakes up or everything is wiped out. I think it's going to be a season of hardship. Um, that the survivors, it, it, uh, you know, have a different thought process than we do now. That's in a physiological way or in a reality way or in a in a, a way of the mind or a way of the spirit or... Well, I think it's all interconnected, you know. I think that you... I, I, don't, I just don't think that you can have a species enlightenment without having a species die back. I just don't think that that's possible. Because huh. the, the base, um, the base of the pyramid scheme... Is moving up, you know. I mean, essentially, you know, if you take the Ken Wilber model of like how consciousness evolves, mm-hmm. um, all the social stuff of way back when becomes incorporated into the personal evolution um, from chi- from baby to adult. Uh, so that when you're a baby and you you know when you're ter- terrible twos and you're experiencing narcissism, um, you know the world revolves around you and all that. I mean, that's a throwback to you know being an ape. <laughs> in fact, sure. apes uh, evolve to a three-year-old intelligence, and so on and so forth down the line uh, of these sort of, you know, cultural progressions or human progressions. Um, they all become personal progressions. And so what does it look like when the best and brightest of us is the thing that we are when we're kids, you know? And I mm. think that, that that sort of thing is like when you talk about like indigo children, you know? Or I'm a star seed, you know. I think that's sort of like the New Age wish fulfillment of this. Like, we really, we want little Billy to be special, you know. I don't Uh think that's anything at all, really. But I think it will be. I think kind of like the fundamentalist rapture thing. I think it's almost like a, uh, it's us talking to ourselves, you know. It's one is talking to oneself through the broken psychology and saying, look, this is what's coming. Um, And instead of seeing that, we go, wow, we want this to be now. We want little Billy to be special and you know, we want to control this, you know. I think it's all like an unconscious effort to do that. That's why I think sometimes the world really looks like it's controlled by an outside force. You know, you talk about like 9-11 and, and all the just 
evil stuff that happened after that from our government where just the crimes committed at the speed of lie, as I like to say. Uh, and it looked to me like, wow, this is really, I mean, the fact that we're letting this happen, you know, America, the Americans are letting this happen and, and arguing and quibbling over stupid stuff. It's as if there really is a Satan that has like cast a spell <laughs> over the population and is letting this happen, but it's not. You know, it's all this unconscious, I think, stuff, uh, us talking to ourselves and and just gearing up for this stuff and mistranslating it because because we don't come from the heart. So if we're a broken thing through which our unconscious uh, uh, knowledge is, is coming into us, um, it's going to be translated and, and used inappropriately. So, so in the notion or the analogy of of wrestling out of our cocoon, as you said, that kind of inner turmoil and soul writhing, if you want to call it that, because we're all one with everything else, we're going to see physical manifestations in the earth of our own writhing. Yeah, I think so. I think um, I think so. I think that that. Um well, I don't know. I mean, is, is is it a coincidence that all the global warming and catastrophic, seemingly unstoppable stuff happening right now is happening around 2012? You know, and it's not that 2012 is the end date of the world. And certainly the Mayans didn't imply that, but they right. did imply that, that that would be the, you know, the middle of a season of change. I mean, is that a coincidence? Can you really chalk that up to, wow. I mean, what are the odds that that would be now? So yeah, I, I just I think that that every that, that there is the mechanical aspect of Earth, of people, of existence, and then there's the free flowing, <laughs> uh, non local aspect of everything, um, and they work in conjunction. You know, if you want to say as above, so below; as in, so out. I mean, I think it's it's all interconnected. I don't think one thing happens and then the rest goes on as is. I think it all has to happen together, you know, the big crunch. Do you think that the notion of how popular or how big 2012 has gotten, I mean, we've got the cover of UFO magazine, we've got specials on TV, we've got books and movies of 2012. I mean, it's certainly been injected into consciousness of, of the world at this point that this is an important year, uh, December 12th or whatever it is, is an important date in that year. Do you think that uh, it could be something as simple as uh, we are directly affecting reality by basis of the observation of a date like that? And uh, the the truth of all predictions is always in your hands, as the Iron Maiden song goes, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I mean, you know, uh, uh, that that's. I mean, we we kind of saw like a, a snippet of something like that uh, with uh, Y2K. We saw that same kind of fervor and and craziness, and 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 we had a lot of trouble with that that period of time. But none of it related to the actual issue of computers. You know, it really had nothing to do with that. Everything was fine, but a lot of very weird shit started going on in the world around that time and it seemed like that fervor pitch was reached and then it went back down to normal yeah i mean i i i see that kind of thing and i think how how much of what we're exposed to as far as doomsday prophecies or any of this stuff is based upon 
our own, you know, conception of being the observer, being that, that I mean, we had a, the, this ties right into the thread we had on the message board, uh, or some message board, unless I dreamed this, uh, where somebody was talking about how far could you go out in space or how far could you get? And I made the statement that, you know, for me, you're, you're, you're never going to see nothing. We're never going to get in that ship and go all the way out to nothing because immediately when you recognize nothing, it becomes something. So it will continuously keep unfolding around the notion of the observer. Is this just a smaller version of that? You know, things will happen because we expect them to happen or people have a belief or they are observing a date as a special date or a special time or we're reaching this fever pitch. Not to say it's not true, but as part of that in physical manifestation or in all the discussion of this, bringing about this type of change, which, by the way, doesn't preclude that it's a predestined change. <laughs> right. Well, no, I, I don't think it does, actually, I, I, because I think I think what, what will happen when no big thing happens, and this is like the last date that we have of – you know, until they realize, wait, no, there's still the Mayan long count calendar. Until they find the next one. Date and push that off. But right. I think in the meantime, there, you know, there will be people who try to enact self-fulfilling prophecies, mm-hmm. um, be they politicians or, or whatever, you know, whatever position they're in, just creatures of some sort. I don't know. Depressed people. I mean, I think there is just that terrible. wave of depression that comes with no God coming to rescue you, you know? <laughs> no end time, no judgment, no no savior, no solace, no, wow, my life is worth something, now I have meaning. I mean, when that doesn't happen, yeah, I think there there are people who try to do that, uh, try to make it happen, but I don't think that's not the same as what you're asking, which is sort of more the secret, you know, more of the focus of intent uh, uh-huh. on this thing. Does that create something? Uh, and I don't think it does, only because... It, it I, well, I, mean, I don't know. Has it in the past? I mean, I, I don't really think it did for Y2K. I don't really think it did for harmonic convergence. People after the fact say, "Well, the, the wall came down in Berlin." Really? Because that, actually... that ain't what you promised us. So <laughs> I'm not going to make that connection. You know? Uh, no, I mean, well, again, it, it's always going to be it's steeped in ambiguity because what isn't? Um, uh, but uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I think, you know, if you looked back at Y2K and all of these doomsday-esque type of things, you know, certainly, I mean, certainly you've got the fringes of that, like you were just talking about with, like, the hail Bop. Uh, you know, we had the uh, uh, the Heaven's Gate cult suicides and stuff like that. I think you're going to see a lot of that around 2012. I mean, more than expected. I really believe that, which is why I find even ignorant discussion of the notion of 2012 being some sort of doomsday date. Um, and now we've got a full feature lift multi-million dollar movie coming out about 2012. If you're not willing to say it's doomsday, you're not really going to get heard because <laughs> we seem to like the ass. And we, we seem to enjoy that notion of fulfilling prophecy of not – I mean how many Nostradamus specials have been on in the past uh, you know, six months and all kind of leading up to this crescendo of 2012. You know, I mean, I personally don't see it being uh, a cataclysmic event. I see it being something else, and I don't know what. You mean but, on 2012 or just whatever the vague thing that we're talking about? Whenever, whenever this – yeah, yeah. When I, I don't put any date to it at all. 
but um, uh, you know, I think this economy is is a good notion of what I'm talking about. It just in the sense of what happened to me this week, which is, you know, to refinance a house, you know, for a lower interest rate and a lower monthly payment, and then for a bank to arbitrarily call you up and say, "Hey, guess what? Your mortgage payment's going up two hundred dollars." I'm sorry, what? You know, and I, I was on the phone with you uh, uh, the other night, and I said, you know, they said that this is all based upon the fact that taxable, as far as land, the taxable land can only go up so much of a percentage per year for a homeowner unless you just bought the house. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, and I said to you, at what point is someone going to stand up and go, what the hell is going on? What is this for? Now I'm talking about a very you know, mechanical thing here, money. But this is all the kind of thing that incites people to say, enough, enough with this crap. I've had enough of going to work every day. I've had enough of making money to keep up with the Joneses for all that nonsense. You know, I've had enough of taking heroin. I've had enough of swallowing Xanax. I've had enough of you being drugged so that I'm numb, so I don't feel anything. All of that kind of – that is what I'm talking about that's reaching this fever pitch in this country at least because that's the only thing I know. We're reaching that fever pitch at an alarming rate to me. Mm-hmm. People are getting fed up with the way life is. Yes. And I see this as being the precursor to something happening to where the world just one day says, I'm going to sit down now. <laughs> well, you know, you, yeah, you might be right about that. I mean in a sense um... – I think when the world didn't end in 2000 and then didn't end in 2001 and then didn't come to a complete standstill after 9-11, we didn't blow And we still up. don't have flying cars. That's the other thing. We still don't have flying cars, but we're also – there's also this this sense of – everybody has the sense of technology has has beaten out spirituality. You know, we're technologically – we're way up here and spiritually we don't – we're still arguing whether that can be reduced to material processes. And uh, yeah. that is so wholly unfulfilling um that that yeah i think i don't think we can go on for much longer without meaning without- i mean do you see our culture 500 years from now are you joking no and that's why i love oh. uh i love asking um college kids or high school kids if and i bump into them when i'm stalking schools to molest <laughs> god no. you sick bastard <laughs> 3 2 1 no uh yeah, no, but when I do talk to the kids, I always love to ask them, so what do you see for your future? Do you see that there's going to be a world in what you think you're going to make it to 50, which which isn't a fair question, I guess, because no kid really believes, you know, they all think, well, we're always young and immortal, and I'll be lucky if I make it past 25. But, but generally, you know, uh, there's a disconcerting number of kids who, who don't, See in terms of like, well, I've got to have a career, I've got to have a family, I've got to perpetuate the species and better my life and settle down, all that stuff. I mean, it's just not in the cards. Well, I mean, I, I mean, in all fairness to that statement, I think that when I was, you know, sixteen, eighteen, twenty years old, I didn't ever see myself seeing forty. Uh-huh. I, that was just inconceivable to me. Yeah, but at least uh, when you were in college, right? Did didn't you have the sense of? Um, you're working towards something. You're getting a degree because you well, have something that you're interested in that you want to do. Well, I've always had that. But, do you see my, it, but now, now the question is, do you even see a time to be able to do that? Or is that even important anymore? 
I mean, it isn't for me personally. I don't have anything that I want to do anymore. I used to, I used to want to be a director and a writer and all this stuff, and I still mm-hmm. do this stuff, but it's completely masturbatory. It's just doing mm-hmm. something to bide the time. Now, mm-hmm. I'm going to be sorely uh, hurting when it turns out I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you know? What yeah. happened for a guy like me? Well, if we're, you know, wouldn't that be the ultimate trick? Yeah. Um, which is which has actually long been the methodology of practice here. I mean, let's <laughs> let's let's not forget this that the, that the ultimate sense here and the only continuance is ambiguity. But uh, but no, I mean, I I don't see this going on. I don't see I don't see. The world continuing on its current path. It's not just, it's just not going to work. And that doesn't mean I see the world ending in some fiery ball. It means I just don't see people's mindsets taking a whole lot more of what this world has to offer. I had a fiery ball, but I do see an ice age. I mean, I, I just, I, I, see, I don't see that either. I've, I've, a, <laughs> seen the vision of it. I've been, right? Uh, been scared enough by the coming global superstorm Whitley Strieber book and the story of how that came to him in the first place mm-hmm. by a guy who sounds mysteriously <laughs> akin to someone you may have met. Right. <laughs> not the same guy. I'm not saying the same guy at all, but I'm saying, you know, a similar odd situation uh, with this stuff that happens to be true. Now you ask, you know, when you ask these people, gee, can you give us something that we can use? Well, this guy gave Whitley Strieber a whole bunch of stuff he could use. Mm-hmm. And, you know, until Al Gore picked up the torch and ran with it, people just laughed at him and ignored him. So ultimately, what good was it for him directly? It wasn't directly, indirectly. Uh, I think he planted a seed that had the fly effect, you know? Right, right. Um, so I, I look at all of that, and then I look at what is actually happening with global warming and the melting of the glaciers and blah, blah, blah. I can't ignore that. I can't just say, oh, that'll not affect anything. <laughs> really? Because <laughs> well, this what you is s- the mechanism for an ice age. Exactly what's going on right now is the mechanism for an ice age. Well, what do you say to the people like I've said before, which is that uh, if you look back over so much history, at least as much history as we can gather, um, that the planet has routinely warmed up and cooled down and warmed up and cooled down. I mean, what do you say to that when somebody says that this is just a, a natural cycle of the Earth? Uh, so, I mean, does that mean we're not going to live in an ice age? Just when you say, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, not just cool down and and we're going to be fine. Yeah. Essentially that, um, that, that the earth has seen these kind of operations before and that it hasn't really brought forth blazing, scorching heat, nor snowstorms and ice. Uh, but it has just been a, that kind of moderate warm up, cool down, melt, refreeze, you know, that kind of thing. That, that, that's cycled, you know. Uh, yeah, but I mean, what, what is the cycle? Is my question. Is the cycle that it goes ice age, no ice age? Or is it the cycle that it goes to about where it is now and then about, it starts to go back to normal? Right, exactly. Well, where's, exactly. Where's the evidence of that? I, I've not heard. Any- I don't know. I've, I've read stuff like that before that people say there is nothing to worry about because this is nothing but, yeah, but what has happened. Exxon, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> this well, is I mean, problem. I don't know any mainstream scientist who believes that. Well, I mean, there are ones out there who vehemently disagree. I mean, that you know, the, I mean, at this point, we're still debating global warming, although 
Some people don't. But then you wonder what study is coming out saying global warming is a reality. Well, what study is coming out saying it's not? And who published one study versus published the other? It's all a lot of confusion. Well, that, that's a lot of confusion created by corporations. But the fact is they're now doing, you know, you got to write up like new land treaties and stuff over, you know, the Arctic because we can now swim in it. You know, yeah. you can now pass a ship through it. So right. <laughs> that can't be good. I mean, all no. it takes is for some of that land ice, uh, you know, the water ice doesn't, the water, you know, the ice flowing in the water doesn't matter. But once the land ice is gone, that's when the ocean rises. That's when the salinity in the Gulf Stream is affected. That's what triggers the ice age. I mean, if that happens, then we're screwed. And mm-hmm. that's what's happening. Now, if, if you're going to say that magically somehow that's going to, Reverse itself, okay, great. And then we're stuck with, wow, so no end of the world happened, no global warming natural cycle happened, you know, tilled us off. Then I think we're really going to screw ourselves. If we have no meaning and no way out, I don't know how we're going to go on as we are. I don't Left see to it. our own devices, yeah. yeah. It's just don't doom it. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's when we build the computers to take us yeah. over. <laughs> yes, yes. Machines come forth. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that I necessarily believe that. I'm just saying that, you know, this has been something that's been postulated by a lot of people on the net that I've read. I mean, I've read a lot of stuff out there on this here and there that over the years th- that deny it. I mean, I, I personally, I think it's disturbing. I think it's disturbing in one sense in the fact that people say we're having no effect on the environment whatsoever. As people on this earth, uh, you know, we're we're nothing but a microbacteria uh, on the earth. Which, hey, if uh, a microbacteria on the the planet, uh, a microbacteria on your body can kill you. So I fail to see how that's a relevant argument. But by the same token, if people say we have no real impact on this earth, wow, take a look at the ocean and what oceanographers are predicting will be the the extinction of many forms of the food. That we eat, like crabs and fishes and <laughs> shrimp and all these things, because we're overfishing these things. Not because we're overeating, just because it's worth more money. We're going to overfish. I mean, I am a huge seafood guy. I love it, but I will not eat it until I hear different about how our oceans are faring. Because that, to me, that is the part I fear. The oceans are what I fear. The oceans die, we die, period. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that that is my main concern. That's why I send my check to Greenpeace. That to me is the most disturbing aspect of it all, uh, because it, it to me it's the most it, it's every every oceanographer, every every marine biologist seems to agree on this this topic is that we are overfishing things, and that is going to mean extinction of you know all sorts of different life in the sea. That's worrisome. And that's to me that's that's the macrocosm of the microcosm problem. That's the control, control, control. You know, dominion over the earth and the animals and all of that stuff. Right. It's just fine. Let's just carry on as we are, and then, then the ecology fights back by by dying off enough to kill us off. <laughs> like you're saying. Well, not well, not the only that, but die and then we die or whatever. Mad mad cow. I mean, uh, right? Yeah. You know, whatever the, it is. The, the foul problem. I mean, you know, it's, the algae it, goes, the jellyfish take over, and there's nothing to eat. But is that different than than Jeff Ritzman, who wants to control, control, control when something comes <laughs> out of the, I don't know, let's say spiritual or interdimensional environment and says, um, 
yeah, you know, actually, uh, you kind of have to wake up. You kind of. Right. <laughs> well, remember, I'm dense. <laughs> I'm dense, and because I'm thick. Once again, I mean, you know, we are more than microbes. I I just did that five part culture contact series. You know, in my experience in life, is which is reflected in that stuff is that we are the species that has the brain body ability <laughs> to usher in this quote unquote god self or oneness. Uh, self-awareness, you know, that animals have animal self-awareness and, and insects and, you know, whatever. And all physical stuff is sort of the the body or manifestation of it, but the actual self-awareness of that point of view is what we can do. And so if we don't do that, then we haven't fulfilled ourselves as a species. Now, if another species comes at us who has fulfilled that, then that's truly oneness talking to oneself. That's truly something going, look, essentially... If you don't wake up, uh, we all don't wake up because we're mm-hmm. only as strong as our weakest link. So mm-hmm. you better start paying attention to your spiritual environment, your spiritual ecology. Uh, but we're not even taking care of our physical ecology, let alone even recognizing a spiritual one. I mean, to even say spiritual ecology, I just, you know, I might as well might write some Michael Sala papers at that point. You know, <laughs> I mean, I'm done. But maybe that's what it is, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's all, it's all, um, it's sort of nest, nested dolls, you know, it's all uh, mm. a pattern within a pattern within a pattern, you know, physical, mental, spiritual, on and on and on to whatever. It's fractal. It's fractal geometry in action. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you know, go back to Dorothy Izot, you know, go back to the, the, the paranormal topic at hand uh, on this show a lot. And, uh and she'll tell you that uh, these beings that came to her told her that what we're doing is not good, that we need to wake up, that uh, everything that we do here affects more people than we know or more beings than we know, which goes right along with what you're saying, um, which could roundabout be the whole reason for all of this, you know, is is wake-up call, Um and maybe the other stuff is peripheral. Who knows? Maybe the ghost thing is peripheral. Maybe, maybe all of that stuff is uh, is something else. Um, I don't know. I mean, we're certainly gonna we're not gonna get it in uh, uh, an hour and thirty one minutes. But, no, but uh, I think it's amazing that that Teokasin or any Lakota can endure for centuries the pain of being marginalized and being told, "Oh, you stupid Indian." You know, you yeah. silly little tribesmen. And really, they know what we block out, which is that that indigenous way is uh, the correct way or the more correct way, the more whole, holistic way that we've um, separated ourselves from, that we bubbled off into our own thing from, uh, that we're eventually going to crash back into. You know, the, mm-hmm. wave, the wave is riven above the ocean and now it's going to crash back in and realize it's always been ocean all along you mm. know? and um and instead of going duh and enslaving us the way the lakota should <laughs> they're probably going to welcome us with open arms and be like brother you're back sister you're back right i don't hmm. know I, I so i just think that the, you know when you ask like gee what do they get out of it i think that you know as well as i do that you don't get anything out of it. You get put on a cross and you get stapled to it. That's what, well, yeah. That's what you you're a good guy, you know? Yeah, yeah. You don't, well, mind, and you don't mind because you know 
that that's what has to happen and that ultimately that whole action uh, and the point of view of the people doing it to you is completely wrong. Mm. <laughs> and yet has mm. to happen all at the same time. So mm. I think that's like almost the same way as, as having compassion for children who fight, you know? Mm. You want to help the bully. Mm. <laughs> Curious. <laughs> and, uh, Curious. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about any of it. I, I you know, like, like I said, it, it's all... Um, the only thing I could say is that uh, more people than the two of us feel like something big is coming and we don't know what it is. I, I'm certainly not going to reach any more. Uh, I, I mean, I've, I, I pr- pretty much have just ceased trying, trying to reach some higher level of state to, to my mind. But, uh, you know, I, I just I look at it in a, in a different way, I guess, uh, because I've not had your experiences with this. But uh I, I think seeing this guy lately has been um, definitely a, a, a part of something pacing up to me. So, um, I mean, that's that's it. To, that's it for me. I don't know what else to really say about it. I mean, like I said, some things he said seemed self-evident to me when he said them. I understood what he meant. Some of the stuff was just completely over my head, which I I think is just um, that I haven't looked enough at it or that I'm different culture and so on and so forth. So we'll have to have him back on. There's yeah. a lot more questions, a lot more. See, I think you're too hard on yourself because you always say, well, it went over my head. I don't get that. And then you ask questions that reveal that, no, in fact, you do absolutely get it. Well, I don't feel like I get it. You t- <laughs> I mean, nothing, nothing snaps and go, Oh, Oh, I don't have that. It, it's not, I don't get that. I mean, I really don't. I really don't. I don't get the sense that I'm getting it. Some things just seem like, okay, yeah, I understand that. I Okay, that seems pretty self-evident. But then other things, I'm like, I'm not sure quite I understand that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, nothing seems to click to me, which, as someone once told me, I'm dense about certain things like that. Because maybe I want to be. I don't know. All I can tell you is very hot here in the Peritopia Studios tonight. <laughs> yes, indeed. Humid. God damn, it's warm. Some would argue. Let's wrap yes. up, shall we? <laughs> Yes, before I <laughs> choke me in the shallow waters before I get too deep. Ugh. Oh, <laughs> I feel an Edie Bacall brisket coming back up. Yeah, oh. yeah, yes. Uh, all right, sir. Well, we're right back to our usual two and a half hour marathon session. <laughs> so for those of you who who felt like you were shorted on time <laughs> last Take time. Take that, will you? Yeah. Sweet dreams, Paratopia. Night.